A few weeks ago, when we were coming back on vacation, uh, we called ahead to get a, a hotel room because it really just works best. Well, fire marshals don't allow eight people to stay in a hotel room, even if you want to. So you have to get two, two hotel rooms. And it really works best if there's a, adjoining rooms, and that's not super common. So I called ahead and got a hotel room when we're on our way back. Uh, and we're in the Washington, D.C. area. And the plan was to go from the Washington, D.C. Area, area, get on the interstate, and go through Maryland, Pennsylvania, Ohio, end up in uh, Indiana on I-70. I that's what I expected. And then all of a sudden, I get directions going, hey, it's faster if you go here. And then I'm going, what? Go to West Virginia? I, like, are we still going to end up where we're supposed to? Well, I, like, like an idiot, decided to follow the directions anyway. And we end up in the Allegheny Mountains, which I didn't even know what those were. I'd heard the term, but I didn't know where it was. I didn't know what it was. We're in the mountains. Sometimes we're up above the clouds on small highways. And I was like, where in the world are we? Then storms start coming up. And I didn't think there were supposed to be any storms in the weather that day. And it turns out when I stopped for lunch, nobody else did either. So these storms come up. It's one of the first times in my life I've ever been like scared on the road going, what, like, am I going to survive this? Because this storm is bad. It's moving the car all over the road. So I get over, you know, here in the mountains, just hoping to survive this storm. And I told Emma, I was like, get the map and find the most direct road to I-70. I'm tired of being on these roads. I don't know what's happening. I don't know where these are going. But, like, get me to I-70, because I-70 is going to get me to the hotel where we're going to go. And so even though it, it wasn't the fastest road, I got over to I-70, and then we followed that um, across the states and made it to our, to our hotel. And I, I was thinking of that story this week, because sometimes in life we get to a place where we're like, where, what's the way out of this? What's the, what's the road out of this mess that I'm in? It could be a mess, you know, where you're trying to figure out, like, do I take a new job or do I stay in the job that I'm in? You know, like, do I continue doing what I've been doing before, whether it's farming or some other kind of job? And you're like, what do I take? Get, do I get more land and do I not make that decision? Do I take a new job or do I stay in the job that I'm in? You're trying to navigate decisions with kids or grandkids, trying to navigate decisions with your parents. We'll, sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where we're going, where, like, this is a mess and I want to get out of this and what's the road out of that? Today we're going to be looking at Psalm 13 that is a, a prayer for those kind of moments. You see that one of the things that I love, we started last summer going through the Psalms. Last summer we went through Psalms 1 through 12. This year we're picking up summer in the Psalms doing Psalm chapter 13. One of the things I love about the Psalms is, as, is that they're meant for us to like participate in them. And all Scripture is breathed by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We see that in 2 Timothy. So all of the Bible is like a blessing to us and is useful and is what God like calls us to, to hear and to read and to listen to and to learn from. But the thing that's unique about the Psalms is that they're meant for people to not just go, oh, somebody at one point sang this, but for us to sing it. Not just, well, at some point David prayed this, but... When I find myself in a situation, maybe there's a prayer that can help me out. That's what the Psalms end up doing. Is there an invitation for us to pray them too? Not simply to learn from them. To get inside them and let the Psalms then get inside us. And begin to form us from the inside out. Today we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 13. It's a, it's a prayer or a song 
for those times where we lose our way in trouble and we go, how do I get out of this? It, it could be guilt over sin that we go, how do I get out of this? could be a diagnosis and we say, God, like, where do I go? That's, this psalm is for those kind of moments. So let's read this together, starting in verse 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Let's pray. God, as we read and hear and sing and learn to pray this psalm, we pray, Lord, that you would help us find our way when, we fi- when we're in the dark. Help us find our way when we don't know when this is going to end. In Jesus' name, amen. So this, this psalm is an invitation to, to you and I to orient ourselves in distress toward the Lord. That's what this, psalm, this song ends up doing. It's a song of David. Where, and David invites us to orient ourselves in distress toward the Lord. When we're in trouble, say, oh, what, what's the direction towards I-70? It's in a similar way. David is like, what's the direction when I'm in trouble? David says, oh, I'm going incl- to orient myself towards the Lord. And what I want to show you today is three steps from this psalm in orienting ourselves to the Lord in distress. Three steps to orienting toward the Lord in our distress. Verses 1 and 2 teach us to cry out to the Lord. Verses 1 and 2 teach us to cry out to the Lord. Verse 1, each one of these has, there's like four statements that each starts with how long. Another way of putting it is until when. God, what's the expiration date on this? But notice there's like several different kinds of requests here of cries out. It's not exactly obvious what David's trouble is here. David says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long are you going to hide your face from me? Maybe the the trouble that David is facing is a, a trouble that God has turned away. This supernatural kind of trouble that he's dealing with. But not only does he pray that and sing that and invite us to cry out from that kind of a situation, verse 2, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Uh, some translations depending, uh, try to capture the sense here that how long can I lay here and plan and see them not work out, God? I'm here wrestling in my thoughts with plans that don't go anywhere. I feel like my prayers are reaching the ceiling and no higher, and my heart is filled with sorrow. God, how long is that going to happen? So maybe it's a situation where it's a trouble with God, but it also invites those of us that deal with like trouble with ourselves. That's why earlier I said, sometimes it's we're trying to make a decision and plan for the future, and we go, God, how do, where do I go? How do I orient myself? What do I do with my job or with my family or with this decision that I need to make? And David says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and plans? And not only that, but then David says, how long is my enemy going to triumph over me? So maybe the problem's outside of me. Maybe it's somebody that's glad 
at my downfall. Maybe it's somebody that's turned on me and that's hurt me and that's, that's grieving and breaking my heart. David, David says, God, I'm going to cry out to you. This, and so this, I, I love that the psalm starts this way. Because it, it basically gives all of us permission, no matter what trouble we find ourselves in, we are welcome to say, God, until when is this going to keep going this way? All of us, no matter the situation, whether it's a trouble with God, whether it's a trouble with ourselves, or a trouble with the things outside of us, we're invited to say, hey, Christianity is a safe place to bring problems and, say, and put them at God's feet and say, God, how long is this going to happen? How long am I going to be grieved? How long am I going to be hurt? God, how long is my, are my plans going to be frustrated? God, how long is it going to seem like you don't care about me? Christianity lets us name the problem and bring that to the Lord. But what I want you to notice is that it's not just an invitation to cry out, but it's specifically to cry out to the Lord. It's, it's very important that throughout this song, David kind of organizes it around him using God's very specific name. The Old Testament has multiple names for God. It's a, it's a big deal in the Old Testament, the different names for God. But the, the, very, the specific name that he's using here, most of the time your Bible will capitalize Lord when, it, when, in the, when it's using this. When, the, when Lord is capitalized, that is a reference to the name that God revealed himself to Moses in the wilderness at the burning bush. It is the covenant game, name of God where God says, I am the God in relationship with you. I'm going to rescue my people. I hear your cries and I'm going to take care of you. And so David organizes his song here around the very specific name. He doesn't say God is in the deity about, you know, the, the deity that Israel that belongs to Israel. He doesn't use this, un, you know, just just a, a blanket word that we might use. But David is saying, like covenant God who promised to take care of us, who promised to be in a relationship with us, who promised to be near us, who has taken care of His people when they were persecuted and when they were in slavery. Can you hear my cry right now? And so what I want you to notice is that Christian lament is the word that we're going to use here. Like Christian crying out to the Lord out of sorrow and out of needing, like needing help is orienting itself to the covenant God. The God who has proven himself to care about his people. To not turn a blind eye or a deaf ear away. But the God who promises to be with his people. When I think of the, the, the word Lord, John Frame does a really good description of what Lord means. Because in our, in our context, we don't really use the word Lord. We might think of maybe a medieval like castle owner who's the Lord. We might think of a, a British person who's given a title. But John Frame explains that in the Bible, when, when the word Lord is used, it refers to the fact that God is in authority. It refers to the fact that God is in control. And it refers to the fact that God is near. And so when, when David invites, so, so John Frame explains, like Lord means the God who is in charge, the God who is in control, and the God who is near. And so what David is doing is he's saying, God, you're the one that's in charge. God, you're the one that's in control. God, you're the one that's promised to be near. How long are you going to keep me in this place? And so it is a safe thing for us to cry out to that Lord from those kind of places. But it's an invitation for us to, put, to remind the Lord and to remind ourselves of who he is. God, 
You're not just God. You're not just the deity. You're, you're the Lord. You're the one who said, I will hear your cry and I will take care of you. You're the God who said, I see even when baby deer are born. You're the God who is over the heavens and the earth and the deeps of the sea. And yet you've also said that we're your people and you've made, said that we're your treasure. And so how long are you going to keep us in this place? And so when we need to orient ourselves in distress to, towards the Lord, we're invited to, to cry out and be like, it is a safe thing, but I'm going to remind myself and I'm going to remind the Lord. This is who you are. This is your name. This is who you said you are. So we, like, orienting ourselves to the Lord in distress, I think, is, uh, starts with crying out to the Lord. But I think that up to this point, I think Satan it can be okay with that part. If all we do is lay in this place and say, God, how long? There's, a, there's an element in which Satan is okay if we stop here. Because nothing else. We're just we're crying out to the Lord, but if you're like me, there have been times where you cry out, how long, O Lord? Out of anger and out of bitterness and there and hopelessness. And so Satan wants us to stop in that place. The second step we see in this psalm actually takes it farther. The second step is to call out for help to the Lord. The first step is to cry out. The second step is to call out for help. Verses 3 and 4 teach us and invite us to do this. Verse 3 says, Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. There's two requests that David makes. He says, God, look at me and answer. God, don't keep turning away. Don't forget me. But God, look on me and answer this prayer. And then he specifically says, give light to my eyes or I'm going to sleep in death. God, can you give me joy in this place? God, can you deliver me from this place or I am going to be overcome? And then David reminds the Lord. While he's calling out with these two requests, look on me and give light to my eyes. He then reminds the Lord and says, like, like look what's going to happen. Uh, your translation may say something like, lest. Like, because God, if you don't answer my prayer, you know what's going to happen? My enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes are going to rejoice when I fall. He's using the same word that he's, he's spoken earlier, give light to my eyes. He's giving this sense that, God, if you don't give light to my eyes, then my enemy is going to have light in his eyes. Satan is going to rejoice because I'm going to fall. God, can you do this so that my enemies do not win and rejoice? The, David invites us to pray in such a way that the request that we make matches the scope of the troubles that we're in. He's like, God, I'm wrestling in bed with sorrow every day. God, my enemy's going to triumph over me. And so David matches his request to God and names those two things. God, can you give light to my eyes so that my enemy doesn't win? And so David teaches us that Christian prayer sounds like help. I have known people that have made me feel guilty when most of my prayers sound like help. That, oh, that mature Christian prayer, and they have like all of these different elements in it. Our, and it, it's got to it's gotta sound like this, and you, and you need to do this, and you should pray in this way. And this is what I love here in this psalm is that David teaches us that Christian prayer sounds like help, God. 
And so if you find yourself in a situation and all you can do is to barely say help, orient that to the Lord and know that that is what the Lord is delighted in. That if you're in that place where you are groaning and saying, God, I don't know what to do. My plans are frustrated. The future is uncertain. This diagnosis seems overwhelming. Or my anxiety about what the future may hold. Like, no, it is okay from that place to pray and say, God, help. God, help. Help so that my enemy, specifically Satan, doesn't say, hey, we won. We got it. We did it. God, I, I don't want my faith to fail. I don't want my life to be overrun. God, I want to finish this race. Can you help me? And, but notice that just like in those first two verses, this section, it's oriented again. That's the capitalized name, Lord my God. It's the, this request for help is not simply, I'm wishing something into the universe. I'm believing something in the universe. I'm sending positive thoughts into the universe. It is a specific request to a specific person who is named the covenant Lord. The Lord who is in control. The Lord who is in authority. And the Lord who is nearby. And so it is a specific request to Him. There's a book, I have not read it, so I'm not going to tell you to go and read it, but the, the title of the book, I keep it on my shelf simply because the title is so good. It is, a, it is a book on prayer, and the title has three words. It is, Help, Thanks, Wow. And I keep it on my shelf as a, as a reminder that sometimes, like all the prayer is, is God, can you help me? Often it's God, thank you. Sometimes it's God, wow, look at what you're doing. But this, this, David teaches us, it's okay if all your prayer sounds like, it's like, God, the covenant Lord, can you look on me and can you answer me? Can you look on me and answer me, Lord my God? He's reminding the Lord of his name and he's reminding, hey, we're in a relationship. You're not just somebody's God. You're not just my grandma's God. You're the Lord my God. So when you're in trouble, call out for help. That's the thing that God wants. That's the thing that God wants. If you're here today and it's just a, a, a constant, steady anxiety that you've been dealing with for years, call out to God for help. If it's a, if it's a depression that you have walked through, particularly difficult right now, but maybe it's been something you've dealt with for 60 years, what the Lord wants is to hear you say, help. But make your request to the covenant God the God who delights to save his people and remind him of his name. Remind yourself of his name. The third step in orienting ourselves to the Lord in our distress, we see here in this psalm, is commit your current and future joy to the Lord. That's where this psalm, that's where this psalm ends. That's where lament is a category of, in the Bible. It's mostly in the psalms, but it's a kind of song or prayer from those dark and sad and deep places. We talked about it last summer a bit, but if you've slept a few times since then, you may have forgotten that category we've talked about. A number of the psalms are lament psalms that are like, how do I pray from deep, dark, difficult places? You see, David, I once was reading through and I was doing a quick read through the Bible, and when I read through his whole life, I realized if you slow down too slowly, then you kind of miss the, 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 the kind of the big picture of David's life. But David was always in trouble. Like David was always having a hard time. Sometimes it was because somebody outside of him was persecuting him. Sometimes it was because somebody else made a bad decision. 
Most of the time it was because David himself had made a bad and sinful decision and needed to repent. But David was always in a battle. Sometimes the battle was outside of him and sometimes the battle was inside of him. And so when we read the Psalms and we realize so many of David's prayers are prayers of lament. That's because David is on the run. His son had just taken over the kingdom. Sometimes he was, all, he was in confession because he's like, God, I just blew it. I just murdered a man and stole his wife. God, like David, sometimes he's on the run because his boss and his best friend's dad has been trying to kill him. Sometimes he's living in, the, in an enemy land, having to act like a crazy man just so that they didn't kill him. And so when we read the Psalms, we find this category of song from dark places. It's called songs of lament. But one of the things that lament has in common is that it ends in this place where David commits his current and his future joy to the Lord. Verse 5, your translations say but or and, but it's this real strong but. So I'm in trouble. God, I need help. God, will you rescue me so that my enemies don't win? He says, but here's what's going to be different. Here's what's different. I, he starts with, I trust in your unfailing love. Right now, I'm not trusting in my plans, my ability to get through this, my ability to endure this, my own strength. But God, my current trust is in your unfailing love. That's the, that's the word in the Old Testament, steadfast love. Faithfulness, your translation may say, that's the Old Testament word that says, I deserve nothing and you give me everything. David is saying, what am I going to trust in? I'm going to trust the fact that God is defined by unfailing love. That's going to be what I trust in. And then he switches and says, my heart is going to rejoice in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. David is coming from a dark place, whether it's trouble from God, whether it's just frustrated plans inside of him, or whether it's an enemy that's persecuting him. David finishes in this place and says, I'm going to put my current trust and my future joy in you. That my, my current trust and my future joy is not going to be in deliverance. It is not going to be in my plans working out. And it's not going to be in what my enemy does. It is going to be in the unfailing love of God and his salvation. I'm going to trust that he is going to be good to me even here. That is the difference between lament and just complaining and grieving. That's the difference between lament, which is something that the Bible invites us to do, and just simply complaining. Not not grieving, that's not the right word, complaining. That's the difference in the Bible between those things. Is that, you know, the place that I'm going to finish is going to be, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to turn my eyes away from all of those things and I'm going to put my eyes on the God who is defined by faithful love, by steadfastness. And so, but notice, just like in the other two sections, all of that is bound up in a person, not in situations, not in winning. It's in, I'm going to sing of the Lord's praise. He uses that same word again. All of this is bound up in a person. So that he's committing his current and future joy to the same Lord that promised to Moses to be near and to take care and to be in control. You see, you and I have this temptation to put our joy and trust in somewhere or someone else. When you deal with chronic pain for a long, long time, it becomes so easy and so tempting to think, well, if there's maybe if I just find something that could fix this, then everything else will be okay. 
If you deal with despair and depression for a long, long time, there's this temptation to go, if just this thing could be different. If you deal with crippling anger and bitterness, there is this temptation to say, I cannot be happy until that person or that situation changes. But David is transformed by focusing on the Lord. By focusing his attention, he's he's already told the Lord, Lord, I need help. He's already said, God, will you do this so that my enemies don't win? But by turning his eyes on the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm going to sing your praises because you've been good to me, then David is transformed. And this lament, instead of just being this pointless session that ends in the same place it starts, it instead ends with, for he has been good to me. And it's because David's eyes have over and over and over been on this word, the Lord, this word, Lord. And it, but that's the story that we have also seen in other places in the Bible. When I was a kid, I loved the story of Joseph because we share the same name, and I thought, oh, that must mean who, that's who I am. And so the pastor would preach on Joseph, and my ears would perk up. And somewhere along the lines, I thought that the, 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 the secret of Joseph is that Joseph was so obedient that he, was gonna, he ended up becoming the prime minister of Egypt. And I like totally missed one of the most important details in the story of Joseph. Because the, there is a constant refrain, this constant repeated line in the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And if you're not careful, it's really easy to miss it. And I heard a preacher years ago point this out. And ever since, I can't read the story without noticing this. The constant repeated line in the story of Joseph is, and the Lord was with Joseph. But if you read Joseph's story, things were pretty good. Like he was his dad's favorite living in the land of promise. Like things were pretty good and it just keeps getting worse because his brothers kidnap him and sell him into slavery. And then it says, but the Lord was with Joseph. Certainly probably didn't feel like it. Like, and then not only is he sold as a slave, but then he's falsely accused and thrown into prison. And the story says, and the Lord was with Joseph. And it makes you go, what is happening in this story? And then, not only is he in prison, but then when he finally does something good and puts in a good word with um, one of the kings, with uh, the Pharaoh's servants, he says, don't forget me. Don't forget me. Tell them about me so I can get out of here. And then the guy forgets him. And so, like, it's as bad as it can get for Joseph. But the constant story is, and the Lord was with Joseph. But the thing about Joseph's life that is different is why would he act the way that he acts unless he believes that the Lord was with him in all of those situations. The situation keeps getting worse and it just keeps getting worse. And he spends years kidnapped, sold into slavery, falsely accused, then forgotten. The reality of Joseph's life is that God was with Joseph. And that is the thing in Joseph's life. That's the only thing that can, make, that can explain why Joseph would behave and live the way that Joseph lived is the reality that the Lord was with Joseph even when he was forgotten for years in a prison, even when he was living in a land far away from his home, even when he thought, I'm going to die with brothers that hate me and I'll never get to see my dad and brother again. Because the, the reality of Joseph's life 
And then we get to the end, and then his dad is dead, and he gets the chance to do whatever he wants with his brothers, and he shows them great mercy, and he protects them, and he says, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. The reality of Joseph's life is that Joseph, by focusing his eyes and his current joy, or his current trust and his future joy on the Lord, is, is transformed because he believes the one thing that's real is God is with me. We see that in Psalm 13. David continues to repeat the name of the Lord, reminding himself of it just as he's calling out to God, and David's prayer is transformed. We don't know what his situation ended up being, but we know that David is transformed because his eyes are in that place. And so this passage is is an invitation to you and I to cry, cry out safely and know God's not offended or hurt. To call out for help to the Lord, reminding him of who he is and what he's promised to do, and then to commit our current and future joy to the Lord and say, Lord, even in this deep, dark place, I'm going to trust and I'm going to believe that there is joy out there because your name is Lord. So this passage calls us to orient ourselves in distress toward the Lord. But what about... What if you're like me and we love other things? What if we have sought salvation in our own plans? What if we've reacted in anger to the Lord rather than turn to Him? Do we just hear this message and say, oh, I'm going to try harder? Where does the power to change come from? Where's the good news for those of us that have not oriented ourselves and know that this week we likely will turn ourselves towards other things? The good news in this passage is that we are invited to sing this song not simply by David, but by Jesus, who sang it first. Jesus never loved other things. He never sought salvation anywhere else. And he followed his Father's will in all things. And then he died forsaken on a tree in our place. He earned what we could not earn and then paid for all the times that we've turned away from God in our distress. And doing that, he broke the power of sin and death over us forever. So now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, even if we've oriented ourselves towards other things in our distress. But not only has he sung this song in our place, taking the curse for us, he guarantees that the Father has only affection for us. So that the end of this story that says, the faithful love of God we know will not be turned away from us. So we can sing and orient ourselves to God with no question in our minds that he will do good to us because Jesus guarantees it. Not only that, he goes before us in the resurrection to show us what future joy will be ours. The resurrection is not simply a fact showing that Jesus' death was enough, but it was also a picture of what is coming for his people. He calls us to orient ourselves even as we sing in our dark places. Orienting ourselves to the resurrection that awaits us. And this is yours if you are in Christ Jesus. But if you're here today and you say, how can that be mine? How can I know that God has only good plans for me? You don't know what I've done. The reality is that you do not need a strategy to make your life better, to somehow impress God. You need to be raised from the dead. And so if that's you here today, the Bible says that though our actions and our hearts condemn us, calling us guilty before God, we can accept the gift of God, the free gift of God that is eternal life in Christ Jesus. 
by repenting of our sin and trusting in Jesus only to save us. And so if that's you here today, whether you're hearing this seemingly for the first time or for the millionth time, let today be the day that you stop trying to orient yourselves to the Lord and you let Jesus do it for you in repentance and faith. And if you have questions about that, grab me at the end of the service. You can come grab me while we sing. You can grab me in the hallway. Because you need to know, like I said, you, if you have been orienting yourselves to all sorts of other things and have never received Jesus, you need to actually be raised from the dead and let Jesus orient you to the Lord. So this passage calls us to orient ourselves in our distress to the Lord. Imagine what changes for you. Maybe you lie on your bed and your plans are frustrated and you don't, your thoughts are in turmoil and you don't know what's going to happen. Imagine what changes when in that moment you're not looking at another four or five hours worried, angry about the future. Imagine what happens when you can say, actually from this place, God is happy to hear me call out to him. And I'm going to remind him and I'm going to remind myself what his name is and what he's promised to do. Imagine what changes in your life when your current and future joy end up resting in this place. That sounds like transformation. Imagine what happens when, when even as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death with your family, on your own, with your church, imagine what changes when you know that you're safe to cry out to the Lord for help and that he's not mad at you when you do. Imagine what happens to your own ministry when you get to share with somebody else the reality that the Lord delights when people cry out to him. Imagine what happens in a community when there's a church that has oriented itself in distress to the Lord because this world does have trouble. Imagine what happens when people in trouble say, hey, there's a church that we know that welcomes us and is going to point us along with them towards the Lord. There's a way out. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in our distress, whether it's distress with you, distress in ourselves, or distress with the world, you invite us to orient ourselves towards you. Remind us of your name, remind us of your character, and transform us as we put our hope and our trust and our joy in you. In Jesus' name, amen.